It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast, and it is officially peak off-season this week. Uh, I'm Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty alongside me. We're going to talk a lot of NFL draft and, and recap that. Um, since I got back from the NFL draft, I have... I don't think I've done anything. Well, that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's it's all right. It gets it gets a little bit boring, but um, I'm not going to complain too much. Uh, I have had a lot of time to uh, to like eat. I've, I've done a lot of eating since I got back, and uh, have not yet made a trip to Shakespeare's since I've been back in town. That will be coming up, I'm sure, very soon. And if you want to have some Shakespeare's, uh, luckily, I mean, probably you know how to do it. If you don't. I, I mean, you know, it's not hard. Like, get on the internet, get on the phone, Google Shakespeare's.com. You can order pizza. But what you can also do now, the uh, the podcast is sponsored not just by Shakespeare's, but by their events and catering uh, arm. And they now will come to you, uh, parties of 25 people to 2,500 people. They will provide you pizza for However many people you have in your group, again, if it's at least 25, anywhere from 5 to $8 per person, they will cater your event. You can actually also have a party at any of their three locations, uh, assuming there's room. Usually that's going to be free. If, if it's a busy time, they might charge you a very small fee to reserve a room there. Uh, but And again, they cannot probably accommodate 2,500 people at the restaurant. I, I don't know. But... I guess not. I've, I've seen a good at least... 50 to 50 to 60 in those rooms before though so yeah. they've got some sizable rooms yeah they can get a decent sized group in any of their three restaurants there's the downtown location which is has recently been redone um out south there's one very close to rockbridge high school there's one over on west broadway uh but again you call them or you go on their website at shakespeare's.com and they will actually come cater your party for up to 2500 people as much pizza as you need um I want to see somebody order like twenty five hundred pizzas. Yeah, that would be crazy. I mean, I, I would assume for your twenty five hundred person gathering, not everyone needs their own pizza. But I don't know. Maybe if you've got I mean, a, like maybe you got really some big people. Group. Yeah, just a lot of athletes or something who are <laughs> who are really have really high metabolisms. I don't know. So uh, check that out. Shakespeare's dot com. Google it. Call them. Whatever you need to do. We are, as I said, going to talk a lot of NFL draft. Uh, but first, Mitchell, you spent last weekend in Kansas City at I know your favorite event, which is an AAU basketball tournament. Which are like for people that haven't been to these things, it's just kind of it's like a wrestling tournament. Like there's like eight games going on at once, and sometimes it's organized, sometimes not as much. Yeah, it's not what you think when you think oh it's like going to watch basketball it's it never stops there's there are games going on basically from 8 a.m to 10 p.m probably a little later than that actually uh they they never end and (laughs) they always get super behind schedule because they're all you know one game goes goes into overtime or like we had this past week all of the clocks broke all of them all the scoreboards (laughs) and clocks broke in the whole gym uh so we we got away behind schedule and it's generally it's, it's really not the best basketball um, a lot is, of three pointers. It a is lot not of a lot of not a lot of really caring about who wins. A lot of just a lot of points. Not a lot of defense. But did get to catch up with uh, a few Mizzou targets. The the kind of the main ones for this 2020 class will be 
on the EYBL circuit, which is the Nike circuit. I'll be there uh, in two weekends in Indianapolis. But saw uh, a few guys that Mizzou is recruiting in 2020 and uh, a few more that they will have their eye on down the road. A uh, couple uh, five-star kids in, in 2021 that they might make a run at. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. It was close by. Uh, some Mizzou coaches were there. So Yeah, and uh, it, for the most part, like – we're going to run down all all these guys and, and kind of where things stand. A lot of new offers this week. We'll run down all that in the chamber. We're not going to do that on the podcast. A, it makes for a boring podcast. B, we want to give you some reason maybe to subscribe to our website um, rather than just giving away everything here on the podcast. And also, as I said, our focus is going to be the NFL draft and looking back at last weekend, so we're going to get right to that. And now we are going to welcome in Matt Hamilton. He's a producer for Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Uh, spent the weekend, as I did, in Nashville, Tennessee at the NFL draft. And uh, Matt, first of all, uh, hope you've caught up on a little bit of sleep, and thanks for taking some time. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, as far as the sleep thing, that hasn't happened yet, but uh, hopefully this weekend coming up I can get a little bit in. Yeah, I, I can speak for both of us that it did not happen last weekend in Nashville, and we'll get into a, a lot of topics on the draft, but I think that the main question that, that I had, that every Mizzou fan had, what the hell happened with Emmanuel Hall last week? Well, you know, it was, it was absolutely shocking to me. I mean, his tape speaks for itself, everything that he can do on the field. So um, I figured we ha- we actually had him on the show on Saturday, you know, in anticipation of him being drafted. And, uh, you know, that was my first time meeting him. I can tell you he's an incredible kid. He was uh, he was awesome with us. He was courteous. He was polite. He, was, he, he couldn't have been... Couldn't have been more incredible to deal with, and his answers on the show just about, um, you know, everything that happened throughout the process and throughout the season, um, obviously the tragedy with his father and how he handled that. Like, I, I couldn't have been more impressed with him, honestly. But uh, so after he went undrafted, I, I figured there has to be some other explanation for it, and I, uh, I reached out to a couple of contacts that I have around the league. I used to um, – you know, I used to be in, in the scouting world a little bit, so I still maintained a few, um, you know, so a few friends around the league. And uh, I reached out and, you know, just what was the deal with him? And, uh, you know, from what I heard from some teams, uh, they weren't exactly happy about the apparent decision to take himself out of the second half of the bowl game against Oklahoma State. And that's really what seems to have affected his stock a lot in addition to, I guess, you know, some concerns with the hamstring injuries and things like that, but it seemed to be um, mostly related to the bowl game. Matt, uh, going to keep talking about Emmanuel here. You know, do you kind of have a sense as to how precedented or how kind of from a historical perspective unlikely it is for a receiver with, with Emmanuel Hall's, you know, test results at the combine and, and athletic ability to slip all the way out of the draft? Oh, it's, it's incredibly unlikely, especially especially when you couple that with the production on the field when he was out there last year. I mean, he's a guy who's second in the nation in, in yards per reception and averaged over 100 yards a game. And, you know, so so the, the production married the measurables. And, you know, from everybody I talked to on the field, you know, they, were, they, they thought he was an exciting player. Obviously, you know, there were certain things about his game that they, that they weren't huge fans of as in like you know he's more of a vertical threat he doesn't run the whole route tree the way you'd like him to but that's stuff that he can continue to work on once he gets in the league 
Um, you know, those are the things that kept him from being maybe, you know, a top-end of the draft guy. But, you know, when you look at the measurables and the production, it's, it's pretty much unprecedented to see a guy like that just fall completely out of the draft. I, I know you and I texted back and forth a little bit about this on, on either Sunday or Monday. And, and just, I, I mean, you know, I heard some of the same things you did. and But that explanation doesn't explain to me exactly how he felt like he did. I mean, Justice Hill didn't play in that same bowl game. I think he was a fourth-round pick. Uh, there's a cornerback from Wyoming who, I, I use the term loosely, covered Emmanuel Hall in the game they played, and Emmanuel had 170 and two touchdowns. There are guys all over the country skipping bowl games. I mean, I, to me, like, I, and I don't know, and, and obviously we can't say it because nobody's told us, but like there has to be something else here that we don't know because if there's not, I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I agree. It really, it, it seems harsh. I, from what I gathered, from who I talked to, it was the way. It wasn't that he didn't play in the bowling or didn't play in the second half. They, they weren't happy with the way it went down, as in like basically he took himself out for the second half and said, you know what, I don't want to get hurt. Uh, you guys can handle it from here. Um, which I guess rubbed, you know, the coaching staff the wrong way and, and rubbed some of these teams the wrong way. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about a guy who's a mid-round pick to a later-round pick, sometimes the little things like that can make such a huge difference to teams. But you would think with that athleticism, somebody would have taken a shot. One more uh, question for me, at least about Emmanuel. Gabe was at his uh, at his house watching the draft with him, and uh, he kind of, I guess, came downstairs, uh, what, midway through the seventh round, late sixth round, and kind of said, I'm going to be an undrafted free agent. And I've, I've seen a few questions about this since. Um, can players or do players, you know, during the draft kind of reach a point? It, does it happen sometimes where they tell teams, you know, don't pick me, I want to go ahead and be an undrafted free agent? And, and if so, what are just kind of maybe the benefits of being an undrafted free agent versus, say, a seventh round pick? Absolutely. Once you get to that point, there are a lot of guys who feel like they'd rather just go undrafted so that they can choose where they play. And, you know, for a guy like Emmanuel, uh, landing with the Bears, while they do have a loaded receiver room, the scheme fit is awesome with him there. Uh, Matt Nagy is going to use him creatively, going to take advantage of that speed and that athleticism and, and put him in positions to make plays. I mean, from a scheme perspective, it's hard to find a better fit from that. Um, while, you know, as I said, they do have a loaded receiver room. That is a place that's going to maximize his talents and really give him a chance to shine. Talking with Matt Ham Hamilton at the NFL Network and uh, a uh, former scout, former Mizzou guy. And so t staying kind of on the why didn't Mizzou guys go where we thought they were going to go, it, less shocking to me, uh, and I actually think the Denver Broncos deserve some credit getting a guy that we all thought they were going to take maybe at 20, getting him at 42. But uh, hey, did you have a sense? My sense of why Drew Locke fell is simply this was just a bad year to be a quarterback. Like, not that many teams needed him. We thought there were going to be four first-round quarterbacks, and there really only ended up being three. And, and after Drew went, not another one went for almost 60 picks. So, to me, Drew was just the odd man out of four quarterbacks. Absolutely. I, th I think you hit it right on the head. This wasn't, there wasn't a lot of demand at the quarterback position this year. If this was like last year's draft where you had you know four or five teams who you know needed quarterbacks and desperately needed quarterbacks, I don't think there's any doubt Drew is a top 10, worst case, top 15 pick. It's just when you look at the teams that were looking at quarterbacks this year, you know, the Giants obviously had their guy for their own reasons that they love. 
Um, you know, and then there are Haskins, you know, Haskins and Locke. I know a lot of teams kind of had them around the same level. It was a matter of preference. Um, and the Dolphins passing up on a quarterback in the first round in favor of Christian Wilkins, knowing that maybe they could work something out for Rosen, also hurt his stock. So I don't think his fall really had anything to do with Drew. I really do think it was just a matter of the demand of the position and him just kind of being the odd man out and he gave him musical chairs. I'm sure, you know, it's painful for Drew to, to kind of go a whole night sitting there in the green room without getting his name called and, and you know, kind of hard for some Mizzou fans to watch that. But what, you know, there there are kind of obviously some some pros and cons of of landing in the second round. How do you think kind of this this fit works out for for Drew Lock going in a second round pick to a team that that kind of has a starting quarterback in place for next season in Joe Flacco? You know, I think it is a really good fit for him. Um, you know, sitting for him might not be the worst thing in the world. Give him a chance to settle in, learn the playbook, develop a little bit. We've seen it work out for plenty of guys before. Um, and especially, you know, behind a guy like Flacco, who is experienced, who, you know, also has a big arm. Um, but also I think when you look at the core that he's going to have around him for years to come going forward, when you look at Philip Lindsay, when you look at Cortland Sutton, and, and now Noah Fant as well, that's a really nice core to build around, a young core to build around that they have, um, and guys that he's going to be able to build a rapport with now going forward so if i were him i'd be really excited about about landing there hey i don't know matt if this is true i i'm just going off what i read and what i see and and i'm not sure if you know either but there's been some talk that that joe flacco was not exactly a welcoming mentor for lamar jackson in baltimore last year is that at all a concern um not to me because i feel like you know, they're they're a different quarterback. I feel like a lot of veteran quarterbacks might not necessarily embrace that mentor that mentor role. But I think I don't think you necessarily need that as a young backup coming in to be successful. I think it's more about just practicing with the guy, you know, just being around him, seeing his study habits, seeing how he works, seeing, you know, just what it takes to be a professional in this league, to be a starter in this league. I think that stuff it's just as valuable as a guy that, that is willing to, you know, kind of embrace the mentor role. And I feel like in this day and age it's rare because, you know, if a guy is coming to take your job, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Like what Alex Smith was able to do with Mahomes, um, I feel like it's the exception more than it is the rule. And, uh, you know, while that, while that speaks volumes about Alex's character, um, you know, I, don't, I think Joe Flacco being resistant to a younger guy coming in is, is, is more the norm but I don't think it's necessarily going to hinder Drew in any way. Cause, well, I heard Flacco might not have been the most – didn't exactly embrace Lamar. I heard he handled everything very professionally as well. So it wasn't like he was getting in his way whatsoever. It just he wasn't going out of his way to help him. Another aspect, obviously, to you know Drew Locke landing in Denver is is John Elway's you know caught a little bit of flack for how he's drafted the quarterback position in the in the last few years. You know between Brock Osweiler and Paxton Lynch being somewhat high round misses. Um, you know, there's kind of I feel like two two schools of thought on this. One being that because Elway really needs this next quarterback he took to be to be the guy, he'll you know give Drew Locke every chance to succeed. But the other being that that maybe there's some pressure, some added pressure there to, that uh, that you know on Drew Locke to to kind of be that guy. How do you see that maybe being a you know a, a pro or a con for for Drew Locke's placement and development? 
Well, as far as Elway, you know, from what I've heard, he, he learned from the Paxton Lynch mistake and, and that whole situation, and, and he really took his time with Drew because he just fell in love with the strong arm and, and the athleticism of Paxton Lynch and didn't do as much of his homework on, on some of the other things and how he studies and his work habits and his practice habits and, and how his teammates feel about him. And from what I've heard, he, he really did extensive homework on Drew and really took the time to make sure that this was the type of guy he wanted in his locker room. This is the guy that was going to dig into the playbook and approach things the right way. And, and that's why he had him as the number one quarterback on the board. He didn't, you know, he knows he can't afford to get another one wrong. Um, and as far as the pressure, I think that's the thing. I think having Flacco there, not having to step in right away, is going to alleviate some of that pressure on Drew. But you know, eventually he's going to have to be that guy. I don't think it's necessarily any any more pressure than any other young quarterback taken near the top of the draft will face. But, um, yeah, he's got – but, again, I think Drew – I think what we've seen from Drew the last four years, I don't. I think he's pretty much immune to that type of pressure. Coming in as a true freshman and taking over the program in, in the state it was in at the time and being in the SEC and playing in big games week in and week out, I don't think that's going to be anything that's, uh, that's anything uh, – different for sure uh we've talked a lot about the the mizzou stuff and and that is what a lot of our listeners are interested in but i know also that that uh, a lot of our listeners watched your show last week barry odom was on it like you said emmanuel hall was on it so i'm just interested matt tell me about the logistics of what goes into putting on not just that show but your guys broadcast basically for three full days from nashville i mean how much of an undertaking was that and how long were were all you guys working on that leading up to Nashville? And it was uh, it was an enormous undertaking, and a lot of it is done at levels way above my head. <laughs> and uh, you know, the executives did an incredible job getting it, securing you know our shows at Tootsie's. They transformed that bar into a set, not just a functional set, but one that pretty much transitioned seamlessly for us. But yeah, it was uh, it was weeks in the it was months in the making and and we're working on it while we're doing our show still day to day um so it was there was a lot that went into it but uh you know fortunately we were able to get some great guests like coach Odom like Lincoln Riley in there um Josh Allen and some of the other prospects as well and uh you know the Nashville just just being in Nashville just makes it so much easier a city you know Nashville is such an incredible city and and they were they were such a great host and really you know, put us in a position to succeed with it. So we're, we're really lucky from, from that standpoint because there are a million things that could have gone wrong with it. <laughs> Luckily, everything went off pretty pretty much seamlessly. Well, and the best part for you guys, you were actually inside kind of isolated from the 200,000 people a day. I mean, you've been at an event quite like that. Just I, I thought the crowds would die off a little Friday and Saturday, and they didn't. Yeah, it was uh, it was comparable to a couple of years ago in Philly, where they had to draft on the art museum steps, the, the famous Rocky steps, and uh, you know it was, it was a similar scene to that. Um, you know, you kind of lost a little bit of that flavor last year in Dallas with things being so spread out and just being at, at, at a stadium, as opposed to you know immersed in downtown the way that this was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a spectacle. It was it was pretty incredible. It's, it, it, they really, and especially dealing with that that volume um, and and dealing with that many fans, it's, it's amazing that things were able to be pulled off without a hitch the way that they were. Matt, I think we mentioned earlier, if we did not we'll mention it now, that, that you went to Missouri and uh, I believe, if I'm correct, had a, a role of sorts on uh, as like a graduate assistant on the, the football team uh, in 2007. 
Um, how, how much did that just kind of impact your, your you know, development and kind of put you on, on the path to doing this? Yeah, so I was a student assistant with the quarterbacks um, from the 06 to 08 seasons uh, with Chase. And, put, and put that on a resume. Those are the best years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was very lucky. I got there at the right time. I was just very lucky. But, uh, no, I mean, those, that shaped everything I've been able to do since, honestly. If it wasn't for that experience and, you know, uh, everything I gained from working with Chase and working with Coach Finkel and Coach Yost, I, I, there's no question I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been kind of a, the path has been kind of windy going from coaching high school to uh, the scouting world to NFL films and producing and all that. But, uh, no, that foundation that they laid for me and everything I was able to gain. And honestly, like just working with Chase, I learned so much just from seeing the game from his perspective and talking through things with him and, and being in the film room with him. Um, more than anything, and that that really did it shaped it shaped all my football knowledge and where I am today. There's no doubt I wouldn't be here without that. So I know you you still you know keep a, a pretty close eye on Mizzou and how they're doing. So it, the the popular story this week is okay. Now let's uh, let's talk about the 2020 NFL draft, which is dumb because like this time last year, Drew Locke was maybe the number one overall pick, and we we all know how that works out. Uh, and then Kyler Murray comes out of nowhere, all that, but. Uh, Depends on who you talk to. Barry Odom says he thinks he's got more draftable guys on this year for next year's draft than this year's. I mean, just as a guy who knows the team, Albert O seems to be the one who gets the the headlines. But beyond him, I mean, who are the guys that you look at and say, I'm pretty sure at some point next year, next April, they're hearing their name? Um, I mean, I do just want to address Albert O. Off the, I, I was very surprised that Albert O didn't come out this year, to be honest. I think a lot of teams that I talked to as well were kind of expecting him to be there, and, and they're salivating at the chance to work with him. Um, he's a guy that I, I know a lot of teams are really, really high on um, and are hoping to get are, are hoping to get their hands on in next year's draft. But, uh, but no, I mean, I think when you, uh, when you look at next year's team – um, you know, as you said, I think there's a bunch of guys. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm surprised that we didn't see more guys drafted this year. I really am. I'm, I'm pretty shocked that like Beckner went as late as he did. And Therese Hall was a guy who I thought was definitely going to get drafted. Um, but yeah, with, with next year's team, I think Jonathan Johnson, even being a little bit undersized, uh, and you know, having his issues with the drops at times, I think the explosiveness that he brings to the game, we're seeing now more than ever, I think with the new rules for defensive backs and, taking a little bit of the physicality out of things that teams are taking a little bit, putting a little bit less of a premium on height with receivers and they're, they're opting for the smaller, quicker guys. So I think I'm interested to see where Jonathan Johnson ends up going. Um, outside of that, I really, you know, I have to kind of dig into the tape a little bit more. I've been so, so much in uh, 2019 NFL draft mode that uh you know, to be honest, I just have to start digging into things a little bit more. But that's the, those are the two guys that, um, as of right now, are really intriguing to me. And I really am interested to see where they end up and how this process plays out for them going forward. Matt, you mentioned uh, Therese Hall. I just wanted to, to touch on him real quickly. He 
ended up going undrafted, but he signed a, a guaranteed a contract with some guaranteed money with with the New England Patriots. Um, just just kind of wondering if you could kind of break down the differences of you know his situation versus the guys who are you know maybe trying out for a team and, and the likelihood or his chances of are you know how, how much better maybe they are than than your average or if they are about the same as your average undrafted free agents as far as making the roster goes. Yeah, no, whenever you get that type of guaranteed money, the more and more guaranteed money that gets thrown at an undrafted guy, the the greater the likelihood that he is going to land with the team. And I think uh, looking at Therese, I mean, I think, I think worst-case scenario for him, he's going to be a really good special teams player. You see the intensity that he brings and the physicality that he brings um, every single play, and I think that's going to translate really well. And obviously he has the athleticism too. Um, but he's a guy, I think, from the Patriots' perspective. You know, you look at him as a guy that, you know, you know, as I said, worst-case scenario, he's going to contribute on special teams. And best-case scenario, he's a guy that can that can become a, a starter. I do believe he has the ability to become a starter in this league if things break, break the right way for him. Um, so you can see why a team like the Patriots would want to give him some of that guaranteed money. They they love players like him who are who are willing to work hard and play with that type of intensity, and they – you know, look at a guy like Kyle Van Noy and how they were able to kind of transform him into a player who was pretty much going to be out of the league to a guy who played one of the most prominent roles in this past year's Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I think when you get a guy that has that intensity and you know you can coach him up and, and funnel that into the right things, um, that's that's got to be intriguing for Coach Belichick and the staff. All right, I want to finish you up with this, Matt. Mitchell's a Broncos fan. He got to talk a lot about his team, so I get to ask my selfish question, and I know we got a lot of Chiefs fans listening to this. So, uh, unofficially, McCole Hardman is already a starting wide receiver for the Chiefs. You talk to a lot of people, like, officially this is going to happen sometime pretty soon that Tyreek Hill is is off this team and maybe out of this league, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it does seem to be going that way. Um I mean, that phone call is just indefensible. And uh, I think when you look at the Chiefs and, and you know, what happened with Kareem Hunt and them signing the press down with that, once that all came out, you know, they, they cut ties with him. And um, I, w- I would be expecting that they would do the same thing with, with Tyreek coming up. And obviously the optics of, you know, with Frank Clark and his history coming into play and, and them making that acquisition in the middle of all this, it's, it's not a great look for the Chiefs organization right now. It really yeah. isn't. Yeah, no question. Uh, all right, so, again, good morning football. Like, the draft is over. It doesn't stop. The NFL is a year-round sport now. So just kind of tell people where they see your guys' show and, and where they can find, uh, you know, you on Twitter and all that. Yeah, so you can watch the show every day um, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central. We're, we're going all the way through the offseason. Um, on NFL Network, and it also re-airs from uh, it'll re- will re-air from uh, nine to twelve as well. Um, so you can catch the show. You get plenty of opportunities to catch the show. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Hamilton twenty five, and if you want to follow the show on Twitter as well, it's at GMFB. All right, well, Matt, I know you've been busy, man. Thanks so much for taking the time, and and we'll definitely be catching up down the road with you. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. All right, have a good one. Matt Hamilton, again, former student assistant GA at Mizzou. He, uh, he's done a lot of film breakdowns for us at Power Mizzou in the past. He's, and we talked uh, down at the draft. He's going to kind of 
kind of restart that. Uh, he gets a little bit busy, yeah. you know, at times. Uh, yeah. And uh, certainly we uh, we understand that and give him a little leeway with, with what he does for us. But I know you guys enjoy, a lot of our subscribers enjoy that. And so he's going to be uh, restarting that. And, I, like, I, we've talked about this every day, I think, mm-hmm. since the draft. But even given what Matt said, and, and like, look, there there is – when NFL teams come and talk to to coaches and stuff, it is not all blowing sunshine because the fact of the matter is if a college staff tells an NFL staff, Hey, this guy's great. He does everything the right way. He works hard every single day, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to an NFL team and that's not the case. The NFL team's going to come back the next year and say, I don't believe anything you tell me. Yeah. So look, they do tell teams the truth and all that. So whatever came out of Emmanuel, not playing that bowl game, it's still to me, doesn't make sense that it knocks him all the way out of the draft. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I definitely thought that was that was kind of the most interesting point Matt brought up that that you know it seemed to be a consensus among these NFL teams that he could have maybe played the second half of that bowl game and opted not to. I'm with you. I don't really see how that's a whole lot different than the players who skipped the game entirely. Uh, right. It seems to it, be treated that way. It seems at least fifty percent better to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but yeah, uh, I guess you know that is probably the you know the narrative that that the Missouri coaches told uh, NFL teams which I would assume is the truth um and like you said there's no that you know they have no incentive to to kind of lie or, or to to you know make these players look look better than they really are so yeah I mean I I, I still don't really get it I I still almost feel like there has to be something we're missing but uh with the Emmanuel Hall thing but he, you know he'll still have an opportunity to work his way into a league and a, and a fit that as Matt said it fits his skill set pretty well yeah, and then I, the other thing I thought was interesting is how many teams. First of all, I think if Albert O doesn't get hurt last year, I think he's gone. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, he couldn't work out, he couldn't do anything, so he wasn't going to raise his stock. The injury for Missouri was good news in that he's back. But I look, all the mock drafts. Matt Hamilton says all the teams they all love him. I when I look at him. I don't right now see a first-round player, but I'm probably wrong. Yeah. I'm curious to see if it changes as he plays more games. Right now, he's played so few games, and he had such a good little run his freshman year. I wonder, you know, I I don't I, I think it's very possible he could have a great season this season, but I wonder if he plays a little more like he did last year if, if some scouts cool on him. And also, I just, like we, we said last week, I'd be surprised if, you know, not very many tight ends go in the first round. So it, it, you have uh, to unless be. Unless apparently they unless play Unless you go to Iowa, Iowa yes. Yeah. But uh, he's not at Iowa, so <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, like I, I just, you know, if he's not the top one or two guy at, at his position, I, I don't know that, that he would be a first round type pick, but obviously he has, you know, the, the size and the skill set that you can't really teach. I mean, the side, the combination of size, speed, and ability to kind of high point the ball. So, uh, you know, NFL teams certainly look for those types of traits you can't teach. I just wonder if, uh, you know, wonder if he, if he plays like last season where he, he wasn't the most consistent player. He, he struggled a, a tad bit with ball security. If, if that could knock him back down. Yeah. So, uh, Look, I'm not going to pretend to have scouted the 2020 tight end <laughs> class. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I could not name another draft eligible tight end for next season. Uh, I think was With, Brendan Scales draft eligible yet? Um, <laughs> I think he'll have. I mean, technically, yes, he would be. So uh, technically, so would Logan Christopherson. Those are my but, other contributions. Yeah. So, uh, so that leads into so every week again. Last week we started like this: how many can you name thing? And last week was pretty good, and we did well. With the uh, the mascots that do not end in S, we were not super thrilled with the uh, with the 
suggestions we got on Twitter last week. So we're going to, we made up kind of a topical one um, since we talked so much NFL draft. And we're going to take Kyler Murray out of this conversation because it happened last week. But how many number one overall NFL draft picks can we name? And this can go back as far as we want it to go. Um, I've thought zero seconds about this. So, like, I know one off the top of my head. I'm sure we'll figure out some others. But uh, go ahead. Well, I'll I'll just – I'm going to try to go chronologically-ish because I feel like that will help me not miss as many. But I'll I'll start with Baker Mayfield. That was not long ago. Uh, Yeah, I might not have remembered that one. Uh, I (laughs) – I am going to – this is somewhat chronologically in the most painful number one draft pick in NFL history, Eric Fisher. <laughs> yep, that has worked out great. <laughs> uh, the Browns drafted Miles Garrett number one. So wow. there's, I'm just going in order I, here. I feel like you're going to crush me here um, because now I'm, I'm going back to uh, Andrew Luck was yeah. number one overall. I don't know if I can really remember straight chrono- chronologically, yeah. but uh, – I. Miles Garrett maybe remember that Jadavian Clowney was number one because they play similar okay. positions and he was he was really good. Yeah, I'm sticking with quarterbacks, which are the easy ones. Peyton Manning was number one. I distinctly mm-hmm. remember thinking if I had an NFL team, I would have liked to see them take Ryan Leaf. So <laughs> that worked out well. Yeah, that's that's what we call a freezing cold take. I yes. think. <laughs> um yeah, see now I'm going way out of order. I'm trying to think, but I can't. No, I'll just go ahead and go Cam Newton because that's another quarterback no. that comes to mind. Yeah, Cam Newton, and and we've talked a lot about the Broncos. John Elway was a number one pick in the NFL draft, yes, although was, but not, not of the Denver Broncos. Right, right, yeah. correct. Um, speaking of the – well, this is a little bit of a weird one, but I still think it still counts. The Mannings, Eli Manning, he was the number one pick, but he was you know traded on draft day. Oh, yeah, that was uh, a weird deal. That was weird, yeah. Like, basically him and Phillip Rivers got swapped teams, sort of. It was – strange uh that was also a long time ago wow yeah it uh it it seems a little too early to start struggling with this but like i said i did no prep for this i'm struggling i don't know if this is true or not it should be true it seems like bo jackson should have been the number one overall i have no clue i I have no idea if he really was or not but it seems like he should have yeah, uh, that would make there sense to me. Maybe were some questions about whether he was going to play baseball, but yeah. Oh man! All right, now let me think. Was Michael Vick a number one pick? I'm. I don't know. Maybe. Mm. I feel like mm. not, but maybe. He was definitely at the draft. Yeah. I remember that. Or, I Orlando Pace. I know that. Okay. I know he was yeah. the number one pick. Oh man, yeah. I think. I, I think now we're at the point where like I don't really. This know. is pretty bad too. We could we should. Have it, we've only gotten better. like ten or twelve. I think we're not, <laughs> not even doing that many. I don't think I'm not even sure we've made it to double digits. Um. All right, let's think. This is this is an excellent just, podcast where we just sit here and think. Yeah, the, the people are loving. Oh, this. here we go. Derek Carr, or no, David Carr. Oh. David Carr, oh. the first Carr, not Derek. Yeah, David um, Carr. That's really the, bad. The Texans' first ever draft pick. Yeah. Um. I just saw. A recap of the top five the year Deion Sanders went number five and Derek Thomas went number four, but I don't know who the number one pick is, so yeah. I'm out. Like, right. I got nothing else. If I, I feel like if I gave myself, like, ten minutes to think about it, I could come up with, like, a dozen more just yeah. by going year by year, but right now we're, we're, you put right. me on the spot too I'm, much, which is also fine. Like, no one needs to hear us name these for 20 minutes. Right. I'm going to go back. I, we're going to interest in, I'm going to say, like, Chuck Bednarik was the number one <laughs> overall pick at one point. So. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, yeah. really good college players. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think we're out. Yeah, I think so, too. Was, oh, well. yeah. So, yeah. hopefully, your guys' suggestions will be better next week. No offense. There were a couple good ones, but, like, 
It, somebody asked us to name, you know, Marvel Universe characters, and neither one of us can do that. Yeah. Uh, some of us, uh, somebody asked to name Springsteen songs, which I revolt against because the sports writer's love of Bruce Springsteen is really weird to me. He used to, yeah, he was before my time. <laughs> oh my God. We got to end this. Uh, we're, we're to the point where I feel old and, and we've got to stop. So look, your number one pick clearly should be Shakespeare's events and catering. We call that a transition that was nice. in the podcast uh, world. So Shakespeare's events and catering, go to shakespeare's.com, Google their phone number, drive into one of their three restaurants, whatever. They're going to cater your party, 25 people to 2,500 people. That's anywhere from 5 to $8 a person. So I guess theoretically, if you wanted 2,500 people, you're looking at $12,500. Please spend that money with Shakespeare's. Tell them you heard about it on the PowerMizzou.com podcast because if you write that check, they will continue to sponsor that podcast and we will be able to continue to do the excellent work we do just sitting here thinking on air and, yeah. and Mitchell telling me how old I am. So I know you guys like that every week. Can't just get that for free. But actually, you do get it for free. So <laughs> right. Congrats. You do get it for free. It's easier for you to get it for free. If uh, if we get good ratings, we get re- good reviews, we're able to line up some sponsors. That helps us out. Uh so we, we've entered, like I said at the beginning, the off-season. So the podcast now is is going to be a little – like we're going to have it every week, but w- guests and stuff like that are – these are going to be actually, I think, maybe more entertaining podcasts for you guys. We'll, we'll go back and, and try to find some different guests. Won't be topical necessarily to every week. I actually was able to uh, chat a little bit with Brad Smith at the NFL Draft last week, and I'm hoping to get Brad one of these next couple weeks on the podcast – uh, the guy that I think most people would say is the most important player in this kind of renaissance of Missouri football and uh, since the year 2000. So if we don't get Brad next week, we definitely want to try to get him on this summer and we'll hopefully line up some guests that you guys will enjoy. So uh, thanks for listening and we'll be back next Thursday.